Um, I want to begin by asking you the question, what, what steers your life? What is it that directs your life? What motivates you? Uh, if you're anything like me, it's sometimes a tricky question to answer in a simple way. You might be thinking, it depends what day you ask me. You might be thinking, uh, there's multi, uh, multiple factors that uh, come into answering that question. The blogger and self-help guru, Sean Lim, writes, uh, these are five of the biggest uh, motivators, drivers for people's life. He talks about uh, money, the desire to be the best, uh, the desire to help others, power, fame and influence, and the desire for recognition. You might see yourself in one of or more of those five. I don't know which one you feel jumping out at you a little bit more than others. But there are things that drive our life, that motivate us, that, that help us make our decisions, that make us worry, that make us stressed, get angry at people, all those kind of things that give us joy. Uh, but if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, uh, you might be kind of guessing where this is heading right now. You might be thinking, well, what about Jesus Christ? Where does Jesus Christ fit? What does it mean to have your life driven by Jesus and shaped by Jesus and uh, compelled by him? Well, that's the passage that we're going to be looking at today, which the Apostle Paul gives us this profile of his Christ-centred, Christ-compelled life uh, in in these verses from verse 11 to 17. And I thought we'd just go through this passage and look at the qualities of a Christ-compelled, a Christ-driven, a Christ-directed life and see what we can learn from the Apostle Paul about what it looks like to live a life uh, directed and uh, shaped by the Lord Jesus. I think it's true that we all desire that if we're Christians. We all probably know that from even as way back as Sunday school that we live uh, for the Lord. But when it comes to the practicalities of our everyday life, it's somehow hard to work out what does it actually look like? How does it actually affect our decisions and our actions? Well, I've got six points that come from this passage, which roughly follows the verses. I thought we'll go through them fairly quickly before we think about some implications for our life. So first of all, the Christ-compelled life is a life that fears the Lord and persuades others. So that's the Christ-shaped or constrained or directed life is the life that fears the Lord and persuades others. We saw this uh, last week uh, as we thought about um, the fear of the Lord that uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is driven by this uh, fear of the Lord. And we saw that the fear of the Lord for Christians isn't being afraid of God in the sense of worried about where we stand with God, It's a question of accountability and knowing who's in charge. It's an acknowledgement that everybody fears somebody or something. And Paul is saying, we know now that the greatest fear in our life, the person whose opinion that matters the most, is the Lord's. And because of that, what do we do? And we see Paul is trying to persuade men, trying to persuade people. 
Now, that might be a bit of a nothing kind of phrase to you. You think, well, we know the fear of the Lord, therefore we try to persuade people. Now, why is Paul saying that? Persuading people, and what's that relationship between fearing the Lord? Well, the context is a little bit helpful here. Uh, The Apostle Paul, as you might know, was speaking into a church in Corinth, uh, which were at a particular point in their church life cycle where they were being drawn in by not just other Christian leaders, and other people who spoke in the name of Christ, but also other people, uh, other religious cults and different influences that were coming in, and their leaders were claiming their authenticity based on a whole bunch of experiences they had, a whole bunch of powerful manifestations of what they would call the Spirit at work. And the Apostle Paul has said time and time again through this letter that authentic Christian living, authentic an authentic Christian apostle, an authentic Christian minister, comes like a jar of clay in weakness and brokenness and, and being unimpressive. And so Paul is saying, since I fear the Lord and I'm not out to impress people, I'm going to actually be on about persuading you to believe and follow Jesus. I'm not about impressing you, I'm there on about persuading you. And then he says in the end of verse 11, what we are is plain to God. That is, in his conscience, that's what matters. Where he is with God is what matters. And he hopes that by this letter, by his actions and his relationships with the Corinthians, that they too will see that he is a genuine servant of the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing. A Christ-compelled life lives, lives life accountable and fearing the Lord, not men, and seeking to persuade others. The second... And they're all related in verse 13. Living a Christ-compelled life means that we are out of our minds for God and in our right minds for others. Now, what does that mean? It's a strange phrase. And again, I think there's a little bit of context that needs to be said there. If you've read other parts of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians as well, he talks, about, he talks sometimes in passing about some particular experiences that he has in private. So he talks about uh, his ability to talk in tongues. Now, we don't know exactly what that would have looked like in the ancient world, but Paul makes a point about these, what we might call strange, supernatural, spiritual experiences. The point that Paul makes is, these are not the badge of being a genuine follower of Jesus. These are something for him and God. They're not the way that he doesn't go around showing off his ability to speak in tongues so that people will say, oh, yeah, 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 you're really, you're really a right follower of Jesus. No, he's saying, if I'm out of my mind, it's because of my relationship with God. That's, that's one, I think, aspect of what he's meaning by that. But then he says, if we're in our right minds, it's for you, in verse 13. I think what he means by that is linked to the persuading language. I don't want to come across as this great, charismatic, impressive, wow, how did you do that marvellous, mystical kind of leader, Paul's saying, I want to be in my right mind, making sense, persuading you of the truth. Rather than, look, he seems to be having some special, supernatural, spiritual experience. I think as well, Paul is talking about, when he talks about being out of our minds for the sake of God, he's saying he really doesn't care about what others think of him And whether people think he's crazy or not. And when he appears before the Roman governors, they think he's crazy because of Jesus. He says, I don't care, I'm accountable to the Lord, even if you think I'm out of my mind. 
So a Christ-compelled life means that we, we are out of our minds for God, but for the sake of others, we're in our right minds. We're not on about being inaccessible and be, having some unexplainable experiences, unexplainable behaviours. We want to be persuading and rational, if that's the right word. The third thing that we see, a Christ-compelled life is compelled by the love of Christ, verse 14. We've had the fear of the Lord, and now we have the love of Christ. So they're not in opposition to each other. He, he knows what it is to fear the Lord, and he's also compelled by the love of Christ. Now, it's important here to stop and pause and think about what does the word compelled mean? Uh, it has carries with it the idea of controlled or constrained. I heard one person giving the example that the kind of word is, is, is a bit like um, what, what happens when you squeeze a, some toothpaste and you're going to squeeze it out and the toothpaste comes out. It's kind of controlled and directed by the squeezing and the constraining. So the, that's kind of the image that is there. It's, Jesus uh, talks about, the, the word is also used when Jesus is packed in by people around him in the Gospels. This compelled, constrained word is saying, Paul is saying that we are constrained and compelled and pushed forward by the love of Christ. Now, what is Paul meaning by the love of Christ? I don't think he means our love for Christ. I don't, he, there's other parts which talks about our desire to love God, but that's not actually what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about Christ's love for us. Okay, so Christ's love compels us, pushes us forward, drives us in life. We see there in verse 14, because of an amazing spiritual experience, some supernatural thing. No, actually, not here, he's not talking about it. But because we are convinced, we're convicted of something. We're convicted that since Christ has died, we have died and no longer live for ourselves, but for him. So a, a life that is compelled, constrained, controlled by Christ is a life that is convinced that when Christ died on that cross, it wasn't just a great example of a wonderful person who did these amazing things a long time ago, but his death actually achieved something for us, and not just us, but, but for everybody and so we actually believe that there's a cosmic significance in what Christ has done when he died. And that means that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. So remember, thinking back to the things that we had, that people's lives are motivated by. Well, Paul is saying that a Christ-compelled life is a life that actually dies with Christ spiritually. And now we live for him. Now, the fifth uh, thing that we see here is related to that. We see there in verse 16, a Christ-compelled life views everybody through the lens of eternity and Christ's invitation of new life. You see there, now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Well, it's saying his whole worldview is that every single human being he doesn't see them in terms of the, the here and just the here. He sees them in terms of eternity, where they stand with Christ Jesus, where they, where they are in relationship to him. We no longer regard people in terms of just, 
oh, you know, this is my aunt and uncle, this is my, my neighbour, my friend, this is, this is someone who is sick, uh, unwell, this is someone who is wealthy. No, Christ, a Christ-compelled life views everybody, not from a worldly perspective, but through the perspective of eternity and Christ's invitation. Sixth and finally, we see that a Christ-compelled life is a new creation. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I don't know if that's how you feel as a follower of Jesus. You might be feeling like the old is coming (laughs) and the new has gone. (laughs) That's how we can often feel. Seems like the way that life treats us. But Paul is saying, no, if you're in Christ, the old is gone. That's in your past, and the new has come. Now, what does that mean with all our distractions and stresses and worries and anxieties and things that remind us that we're in the frailty of this world? It means that though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day in Christ Jesus. That means that we are no longer living for ourselves and this this body that is decaying, but we are living for our Lord and Saviour. It's not to say we disregard ourselves and don't care for ourselves in any way like that, but it means that we are living for our Lord and Saviour who gives us a promise far greater than the things of the here and now. A Christ-compelled life is a life of new creation. The old has gone. Well, let's have a think now about some implications. How does this Christ-compelled life transform us in the here and now? And I just thought we could go back to some of those uh, things that were listed by uh, the the blogger, uh, Sean Lim, we looked at at the beginning. Uh, These are the different ways that people are often driven in life, an obsession with money, a need to be the best, compulsion to help others, a drive for power, fame and influence, a craving for recognition. I thought we could go through each of these now briefly and just think about how does Christ and being in Christ transform each of those desires? And no no doubt each of us will have multiple ones of those at different points. First of all, let's start with money. Obsession with money. Well, what have we learnt this morning? We no longer live for our money. We no longer fear our money and our bank balance, but for the one who died for us. What it looks like is letting Jesus' priorities direct our financial priorities. That's what it looks like. It doesn't mean money is bad. It means we can be liberated by being obsessed with it. We don't have to live for it, controlled by it. We don't have to be kept up at night by it. We can let Jesus' priorities direct our financial priorities. What about the desire to be the best? What have we heard in this passage? Well, well we, first of all, we know that compared to Jesus, we never can be the best. <laughs> But, more significantly, we know that in Jesus we don't have to be the best. And in Jesus, 
we are being made new. Jesus, the, Jesus who created the whole world is working in us and creating us to be his. So whatever goals of perfectionism that we might have in our sphere of life, Jesus is doing something far grander, something far deeper at work as we trust in him. We can be freed up from that perfectionism, that desire to have everything perfectly completed, every appointment perfectly followed up. In Jesus, we are being made brand new and he is the ultimate one who is shaping us to be like him. Third, our compuls- the compulsion to help others. You may think, oh, it's a good thing, isn't it? Well, have a think about how Christ's love transforms us here. As we get to know Christ, we get to know that there is only one saviour and it's not you. As you get to know Christ, you know what he has done for you and Christ transforms you to help others, not out of compulsion, guilt, duty, but out of an overwhelming gratitude to Christ. What about our drive for power, fame and influence? Well, what do we learn in this passage? We know what it's like to fear the Lord. We know the one who is actually in control. So instead of driving ourselves in our spheres, whether it's work, our social networks, for our own influence, our own fame, our own power, Paul says, no, because we fear the Lord and are accountable to him, we actually persuade others of Jesus' power. Jesus' fame and Jesus' influence. Not only to honour Jesus, but for the sake of loving others. And the last one, our craving for recognition. Well, what have we seen in this passage? That we are actually happy to appear crazy to others. Because the recognition that matters is God's. That's what matters. When we realise that in our hearts, that our desire to be recognised for our achievements actually fades. That, that person who doesn't acknowledge you for the work that you did uh, in the office, the extra hours you spent, that goes unacknowledged. Or the idea that was yours that was stolen. When you realise it's the recognition that matters is God's, we're actually happy to just go under the radar. When you realise the recognition that matters is God's, you're happy to appear stupid or crazy for being here on a Sunday morning when there's something else that's seemed infinitely more valuable to spend your time. You're happy to appear crazy when you realise the recognition that matters is God's. Well, let's finish thinking about what steers your life. You might have identified a couple of things that you would like a prayer for and ask God to help you transform you to be like Christ. I'm going to give us a moment now to come before him and ask him to change and transform you in your life. If you don't know Jesus, why don't you take this time just to say a simple prayer. Please help me to know you. Please help me to know you and what it means to follow you. And if you pray that prayer, please come and let me know. I would love to chat to you about it. I'm going to give you a moment and then I'll pray and then we'll sing.
no other name before we have further prayers. I'll give you a moment.